0: Hey, uh, thanks for coming. Tonight is, we continue, uh, in the Hot Topic series. Uh, back in 2010, remember way, way, way back then, the Christmas issue of The Westward, uh, had Scum of the Earth on the cover. And if you read that article, you will know that in addition to, uh, me being quoted about several things, uh, so was Roger Jones from Where Grace Abounds an organization uh, with which I've had um, a long history of friendship. And um, I am so excited that tonight we have the director of Where Grace Abounds with us tonight, Roger Jones, to come and bring the next message in our series. So if you would please give him your kind attention and there will be some Q&A at the end as well. Roger Jones, everybody. Oh, Thanks, Mike. But it's nothing quite like being asked to share your story in a, as a hot topic. It's like, hmm, my life is a hot topic. I'm not sure what I think about that, but not surprising. I haven't, haven't had the most normal experience, I think, so um, I'll tell you more about that. Um, my topic, or the topic of the night, is homosexuality. and. This is a big topic it's confusing and complicated and um I think my hope mike 's hope is that by hearing somebody talk about their experience with it, hopefully it'll give you permission to wrestle with it a little bit um, maybe just raise some questions or some thoughts that you hadn't haven't yet had this This issue is really pretty polarizing in our culture. I don't know if you've noticed that or not, but (laughs) um, it tends to be very divisive. And there's churches splitting, there's families torn apart. Um, In the political realm, you see it all the time. There seems to be two extremes of thought on the issue. One is that homosexuality is an evil abomination, and it's worse than any other type of sin. And if you struggle with that or you engage in homosexual behavior, you go to hell immediately. Um, on the other hand, we have the, this other extreme that's saying, God made people gay, therefore it should be celebrated and blessed. and um, Neither side of that argument seemed to separate the people from the issue. It's kind of all merged together and that, you know, as a person who's struggled with this issue, dealt with it in my life, that makes sense to me. It's complicated. As far back as I can remember, I felt different from other people. If not, um, I, I don't know that I would have put the label gay on it when I was like two or three because my sexuality was not awakened yet. Um, Where Grace Abounds, the organization that I work for, our goal is to offer a third way for people. So I'm gonna talk a little bit about my story. I'll come back to the theme of the third way towards the end. I grew up in a really small town in West Texas. I could talk a lot about just that without, (laughs) you know, there's just issues there. It's a great place to be from, as they say. And um, actually this this morning, the guy leading the service, Jeff, do you guys know him? Jeff Warner, I think is his name. He's from a town like 40 miles away from me. So he totally understood what I meant when I I said that. Um, It's a small farming community. And that's, there's, you know, I joke about it. It's a great, it really is a great place. Um One of the issues that i 've had with it is that the definition of what it means to be a man seems to be like about this big, and if you 're not a farmer or a jock your your masculinity is suspect somehow and um, My dad was a farmer, and you know he farmers work a lot that 's just kind of the lifestyle and He and I were very different. I don't think we really connected a lot. He, when he wasn't working, the things he was interested in just were not of interest to me. So I kind of pretty early on thought, came to some realizations and made some decisions that, okay, if being a man means working all the time and watching sports, I don't really want to be a man. My mom, on the other hand, was the person I spent most of my time with was much more just interested in the things that she was interested in. We were similar personalities. Um, I, because just mostly the amount of time that I spent with her, I adopted a lot of what her mannerisms were and things and um, just the, the ways that she, the way she carried herself, the way she walked. I tried to emulate her more than I did, did my dad. And that just set me up for some problems later on. <laughs> um, I also have an older brother who I, I just cannot understand the this dynamic. It's like somehow my brother and my dad can sit in the living room and watch TV, watch this f- football game for four hours, never say a word to each other, and somehow they're bonding. <laughs> Most of the guys in the room probably can understand that. I... I didn't get it. It was very confusing to me. Um, typical Sunday afternoon in our house was my mom and I in the kitchen cooking dinner, cleaning up afterwards. My dad and my brother were watching TV. And I don't mean this as a sexist statement, but the reality in my home is that men watch TV and sports while the women cooked and cleaned and kind of took care of all that stuff. And that's just kind of where I found myself. And I don't... I just was really confused. I wasn't... I didn't feel like I was a guy. I didn't feel like I was a girl. I knew there were differences there. But there was there was just confusion. I was making choices in the midst of that. I mentioned that earlier, kind of separating and I don't want to be like my dad. Going into school I really understood how to be friends with girls. I didn't understand how to be friends with boys. I apparently ran like a girl because I got told that. I threw like a girl, whatever that means. I've I've know a lot of girls who throw better than guys, so whatever that means, I don't know then. But I got called sissy, I got called Fag, I got called all the names that you can imagine. And this is before I even knew what those words meant. You know, it's but I'm getting the message something's different about me. When I was about eight years old I, um I had a friend who was a boy my, he was a year younger than me in my neighborhood, and we would hang out a lot, and we had a pretty good connection. my The neighborhood I grew in, grew up in had quite a few kids, my brother's age, who was about four years older than me, but this this guy was the only one who was my age. Well, in the midst of our play, he introduced me to some sexual type of stuff and he was younger I said I'm eight so he was seven he had obviously been exposed to something whether that was pornography or he'd been molested I don't I don't know but um, what he introduced me to is oral sex so at age eight that was my first introduction to sex some other incidents around those same years I mentioned my brother was older I can remember two times where I was alone with one of my brother's friends and they were naked and sexually aroused. No touching happened or anything like that, but I don't know why I was in that situation. There was something going on there. Also about that time, there was an even older boy who was probably 17 or 18 who coerced me and a friend of mine into his van where he showed us some pornographic magazines, Playboy or something, and tried to get us to take off our clothes and pose naked like the women in these magazines. This was really scary and intense, and in the midst of that, a guy was paying attention to me. My soul feels like it's being touched in a way that I had not been touched before. Circumstances, I don't remember... My friend that was with me ended up leaving, and I chose to stay. I don't know how I got out of that situation again without being touched, without doing the things he was asking me to do. At some point, I got freaked out enough by what was happening that I said something like, if you let me go, I'll, I won't tell anybody what you've done. That was a reality check for him. He kind of woke up and said, okay. Well, I went home and told my mom immediately. And (laughs) she went and gave him a piece of her mind, which was, good, go mom. Uh, There's a scripture in Proverbs, Proverbs 27.7, that says, a person who is full refuses honey, but even bitter food tastes sweet to the hungry. I can't think of a scripture that fits more with that scenario. I was starving and I was getting something that was not good for me, but it still felt like food to me. Corrie Ten Boom, who I'm sure you've heard of, I'll give a little history lesson of who she is just in case you don't know, but um, she wrote a book called The Hiding Place. She, During um, World War II, she and her family lived in Holland during the Nazi invasion and they were Christians and they were harboring Jews to try to get them out of the country and into safety. And that's the hiding place is the book. It's the, some of the stories about that and the secret room that they had in their house where they would would keep people. The father had a watch repair shop downstairs where he, that was his career. So they lived upstairs. And anyway, they were caught. Their family was caught. They were put in concentration camps and as not as Jewish sympathizers, and everyone in her family died except for her. They all died there. She got out. I recommend reading the book. It's great. She has lots of amazing stories. How someone could live through that and cling to a belief in God and not just a belief, but a belief that God is good. And yeah, it baffles me. <laughs> One of the stories she tells is before... And when she was with, she was about 10 years old and she was on a train with her father. I'd like to read that to you. And so seated on the train next to my father, I suddenly asked, father, what is sex sin? He turned to look at me as he always did when answering a question. But to my surprise, he said nothing. At last he stood up lifting his traveling case off the floor and he set it on the floor. Will you carry it off the train, Corey, he said. I stood up and tugged at it. It was crammed with the watches and spare parts he had had purchased that morning. It's too heavy, I said. Yes, and it would be a pretty poor father who would ask his little girl to carry such a load. It's the same way, Corey, with knowledge. Some knowledge is too heavy for children. When you are older and stronger, you can bear it. For now, you must trust me to carry it for you. I read that as I was just kind of getting ready to speak, and I just, I had tears when I read it. I relived just the the heaviness of being introduced to things that a kid at eight years old should not have experienced, and at nine years old, and at ten years old, and on and on. And... You know, throughout all of that, the consistent message that I was getting was, "Roger, the way for you to connect with men is through sex. They want something from you for your body." I didn't know what to do with that at that age. This is all pre-puberty. Once puberty hits, no surprise, <laughs> my attractions are towards men, towards guys. I. You know, the crushes I had on at school weren't my female teachers. They were the guy teachers. Um, Just a little bit, I want to say a few words just about developmental theory. Hopefully it is of interest to you. Um, You know, when we're born, we're kind of primarily in the care of our mother. At some point we switch over to being in the care of our father or, you know, connecting more with him. That's a shared responsibility. Later, as we go into school, there's the gang phase where the guys hang out with the guys and the girls hang out with the girls. The girls think the guys are really stupid and the guys think the girls have cooties and all that stuff. Well, <laughs> out of that bonding time with our same gender that you know the opposite gender becomes interesting because that seems like other. That's something different than what we are. For me, what seemed like other was men. Again, I knew how to do the thing with women. At least I thought I did. Guys were the focus of my attention. Throughout all of this, um, you know, I was a Christian. I was raised in the church. My family was the pillar of the church family, if you will. It was a small town, so um, they weren't on my... If there had been an associate pastor, it would have been my dad um, my mom was the church secretary she still is this is thirty years worth of being the church secretary almost I think so very involved in the just the inner workings and so through all that I you know I pretty early on figured out the Bible doesn't really think this gay thing is is very positive it doesn't seem to encourage it and I think because of being in the church experiencing that in shame you know the church does has not done a very good job with sexuality at all it's not not just this issue but sexuality is confusing and it just kind of seems like it's bad and so like many others i started to cope with my feelings through fantasy masturbation, pornography became a huge a huge struggle. And those were convenient because I could keep them secret. Um nobody in my church had to know. I could be the good Christian boy when I was with or in church or in school and I could be the you know, do all this other stuff in secret. And you know, amazingly through all of this I didn't really ever question the scripture. It was Perhaps partly due to the fact that I carried so much shame, I just assumed, well, I'm the evil sinner here, so I'm wrong, God's right. It wasn't until I was in college and I met a guy that I fell in love with that that really started to get challenged for me. It's nothing quite like falling in love with somebody that seems to not fit anything that your family, your friends, your faith, anything would... Approve of to make you question things i 'm um, sure some of you can relate to falling in love with somebody that 's maybe not the best choice for you, maybe not of the same gender, but um, you know, in the midst of this, I think that was really an opportunity for me to turn away from God, for my heart to grow bitter towards God, about why. He seems cruel that he would set up a situation where, at least at that point, maybe I you know, I wondered if he had made me gay, and then saying that it's wrong. I didn't know what to do with that. I know there's a lot of, you know, I've, re- I've really wrestled with this, and I know there are a variety of ways people are interpreting Scripture these days around this issue, and, you know, I've looked at those, and I just can't. Wrap my head around those and believe that that's the truth. So, where I've landed with it is that God is God knows better than I do, basically. Um, another quote from Corey Ten Boom: She says, "Faith is trusting in the character of God when you have reasons not to." Who here's got reasons not to? <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot. There's suffering and there's pain in this world that I can't, I don't understand. I don't know why we go through it. But to me, being a follower of Christ means submitting everything to God, even when I don't understand. Isaiah 55, verses 8 through 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So I'm trusting that God knows what is best for me, what's good for me. I'm not going to understand it. As I get older, I'm a little more okay with some mystery. That's kind of intriguing to me. Um, It's still frustrating at times. Um, So as I... This was all during college and some overlap into beyond, but towards the end of my college experience, I started to realize, you know what? I can't do this on my own. I've prayed, I've prayed, I've prayed. <laughs> I've kept this a secret. I don't know what to, what else to do. So the guy that I mentioned, he and I both were in conflict. We both were raised in Christian homes and didn't know what to, just what to do this with this. We had no tools. Through some just research, we found out there are some ministries where you can go and talk with people who've been through this. And that's how he and I both ended up in Denver, moving from Texas and coming to this ministry, Where Grace Abounds. Yeah, right up there. (laughs) So when I came to Where Grace Abounds, my hope, my expectation was that, okay, so I'm going to be here six months, my homosexual feelings are going to be eradicated through some mysterious process. I didn't know what it was. And then at the end of this, I was going to feel exactly for women the way I had felt for men before going in. I say that a little tongue-in-cheek because that's not at all what happened. I've been around Where Grace Abounds for 16 years now, so <laughs> not all because I've been in need of a group that whole time, but I work there now, so, you know, a career has come out of it. Not exactly the type of job you grow up as a kid dreaming about, but, you know, we've, let this be a warning to you, if you, you know, the more, let me say it this way, had I practiced the piano, I might have a career in playing the piano now. I practiced masturbation. I get to talk about that stuff now. Um... Yeah. I embarrass myself all the time when I'm speaking to so. <laughs> so pretty quickly after coming to where Grace abounds, I the that hope was kind of I I was disillusioned a bit because I realized, okay, maybe that's not what's maybe God's not gonna zap me overnight and make me straight. In fact, it was really bad news to start to figure out. I don't think really that God, that's just not the top of his priority list for me. I don't think he's as interested in whether I'm straight or gay as he is if my heart is turned towards him. And that was really not good news to me to find that. I wanted something more concrete. What I did find at Where Grace Abounds was finally a place where I could just talk about this stuff. And I, I cannot say how healing just that experience was to be able to say out loud the things that had been so shameful that I had had to carry as secrets for so long. And, you know, I've heard similar experiences from people when the first time they've gone to a gay bar, they're like, oh my gosh, I felt like I was coming home. I kissed the ground. That's what it, that's what, where Grace Abounds was like for me. Um, I was finally with people who understood me. Nobody flinched. No one reacted when I said, I'm struggling with my sexuality. In fact, it was kind of just like the normal there. And I kind of, you know, I wish church was more like that. I think, from what I know of SCOM, I think it's a place where... People kind of just let their stuff hang out, and that's good. So <laughs> keep at that. You know, So one of the things that Wear Grace Abounds does is groups. That's the primary thing that we offer, is just a place, a support group type of setting. Not just for homosexuality. All kinds of issues are welcome. Um, sexual abuse is a really big topic. Pornography. People dealing with problems in their marriage. Um, just we want to create a place where people can talk about the issues of faith that conflict with what maybe they're doing with their sexuality and there don't seem to be a lot of places where you can do that so i think where grace bounds is pretty unique in that one of the things that i really wanted in that six out of that six month magic potion I was looking for um, was that I wanted to get married. That to me seemed like the epitome of normality I guess and having not felt normal my whole life I thought being married would make me feel somehow more part of I don't know what part of the world, part of church, I would fit in better places. I had set that up as an idol of sorts that Marriage was my way to healing and wholeness rather than God. So that's another of my dreams that got crucified pretty early on. Um, I I said this earlier. I don't think normal is part of God's plan for, for me at least. I don't know what normal means though. So maybe somebody can tell me later if you know. So in the midst of kind of letting go of that dream... You know, I've I've just tried to stay as open to what God might have for me in my life. I don't know. I had no idea what that is. It's just kind of like walking around with your hands open. Lord, I want what you have for me. Um, you, you know my, you know me. You have a plan for me. Help me cooperate with that. Help me to stop resisting to that with that, and help me to trust you. Unex- explainably I not long after I came to where grace abounds in the midst of my deepest struggles with same-sex attractions and trying to sort that out and figure out okay if if God made me with legitimate needs for men and women how do I go about getting those needs met in a way that he approves of my understanding of things Somehow in the midst of all of that, I met this woman named Jill who I was feeling attractions for. (laughs) I can't explain it. I don't know. It was not at all like what I was experiencing towards men, which because of all the porn and all the fantasy was really lust is what I was experiencing towards men. I wasn't feeling that towards her, but I was just really intrigued by her. She's really pretty. I don't know. I feel weird around her. I felt back in that gang stage I described, you know, where it's like the guys want to run up and push the girl down and run away laughing because they like them. Like, yeah. I'm in my 20s experiencing this, and that is called, like, attacking someone. That's violence. You get arrested for (laughs) things like that. So I restrained myself, which is good. But, um, you know, she just became a really good friend over time and pretty early on I felt like okay I want to tell her that I have feelings for her and honestly it wasn't so much because I wanted something to happen with her at that point as it was like I am shocked that I'm feeling this and I just want to tell her (laughs) The night that I, the fateful night I decided to do that was also the night that she decided to tell me she was dating someone. And I told her anyway. I was like, well, we'll see what happens here. And what ensued was lots of discomfort on her part over the next ensuing months and years of knowing how I felt about her and not reciprocating that feeling and... um, You'll have to ask her about more about that at some point. We are married, by the way. That's why you can ask her. But um, <laughs> the story continues, but eventually we tried dating. We, a bunch of my friends and some mutual acquaintances of hers, we decided to go to Italy for a vacation. There were about 12 of us, I think. There was a big group. Anyway, Italy has a way of melting hearts that are hardened with resistance towards love. and um, <laughs> Unfortunately, coming back to reality has a way of re-hardening those barriers and stuff. So we had a great fun time in Italy. We decided to start dating. It lasted for two months, one great fun month, one really not fun month that was so hard and painful. And, enlightening as well about all the work that I had yet to do and my own journey. And we somehow, after breaking up, managed to maintain a friendship. And, you know, a couple of years ago, you know, we would get together every few months or a couple of times a year. And a couple of years ago... I called her up. She works at a church now. I called her to say, hey, where Grace and Balance is doing this training, would you spread the word around your church and maybe send some people? She's like, yeah, let's go to lunch. Let's talk more about it. Well, we got together, and all the awkwardness of having once dated seemed to be gone. And I honestly, I just was like, good, we're finally just friends again. We can close that chapter. <laughs> and just be friends again, and, and I was really ready for that, but there was something going on. I don't know, the chemistry. Perhaps pheromones, I don't know what that's about. Um, with the rest of my story, you could probably take from that that I just said she smells like a man. She does not. <laughs> Please do not go sniff her after the service. That would be awkward. Um, <laughs> So it's really, I'm just surprised at where God has brought me. I I can't explain it. God has done things in my life that I have no words to explain. I mean, I could do my best to do so, and it's just inadequate. We're... Talk, you know, I'm talk, sitting and talking with Jill. I'm married now. That su- still surprises me. It's been over a year now, and I still wake up, and I'm like, there's like somebody in my house with me. <laughs> it's, not, it's rare that I'm that surprised by it, but we are, it's just there's moments where I'm surprised by how God has blessed me. We're having conversations about kids and family. Those are things that I had decided were not going to be in the cards for me either, and i just one final thing about the topic of marriage is that you know there somehow i think marriage gets really deified in christian culture in particular i do think that marriage is is good and particularly with people from my background you know i've been to conferences that where it's like the testimony is like always ends with I'm married now and here's my beautiful family to prove that I no longer struggle with homosexuality. Well, let me just be clear. I still struggle with homosexuality. Somehow, God has opened up enough of it through his grace of my sexuality to be attracted to my wife. And that is a a great mystery to me. I didn't realize how afraid I was that I wouldn't be able to Feel sexually attracted to my wife until, you know, once while we were dating. This is early, pretty early on. We were, we were not even kissing at this point in our dating relationship. We're just hanging out, and where I drove her home from going out somewhere, and we're just sitting in my car and we're holding hands, and my body starts to react in that way that men's bodies react, <laughs> and. This flood of relief just washed over me. I didn't like I said I didn't know how fearful I was about that until I experienced that. And you know, she went in. We said goodnight, and I just wept because I was so said again so relieved and so grateful that 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 happened. And you know, later on as we got engaged, there something about getting engaged just like. Open up the floodgates of the sexual feelings that I had. I—it's a good thing it was a short engagement because I don't think—I don't know what would have happened had it not been. But I guess I do know what would have happened. But you can probably imagine too. <laughs> um, we made it, so that was—that was good. So I—you know—I want to do a little Q and A here in a moment, but I just before I do that. I'd just like to kind of come back to that third way question again, that, that idea. You probably gathered from what I've shared that, you know, I believe that God's plan for my sexuality does not include homosexuality. I don't think people choose to be gay I do think people choose what to do with that, and that's the area that I think God is referencing when he talks about sin. And But in the midst of that, I don't think because a person struggles with this or deals with this that they're worse off than anybody else. We're all doing our best to live out our lives in a way that we feel is honoring to God. And, um. Unfortunately, homosexuality has been singled out as something that's worse, somehow different. And I see it on both sides of that argument. You know, it's, there's an insistence on how different this issue is. And there are some distinctives. I don't want to minimize that, but we're all in the same boat. We've got to figure this stuff out together. God loves and accepts me just as I am I'm grateful he didn't leave me as I was. I'm grateful he's not going to leave me where I am today. I'm still on a journey. Um, and that's that's true for everyone, dealing with whatever. So, OK, I am open to questions. If you have a really, really hard question, come talk to me afterwards. I don't want to try to, I'm kidding. Just let it go. If I can't answer it, I'll say I can't answer it. So <laughs> anybody want to be ready? Yes. Okay. Cut to the chase. <laughs> the of her grace of men, the yeah, I think, I'll, you know, I'll say that again. I believe homosexuality is a sin. It's not part of God's plan. I don't think it's any worse than anything else. And when I'm talking about homosexuality, I'm specifically talking about the behavior. I don't think people choose to be gay. i That's one of those great mysterious things I want to find out from God when I get to heaven. Like, what's up with that, Lord? <laughs> you, know, I, you know, I talked a lot, you know, the way I told my story, I believe my environment shaped me and propelled me towards that. I'm open to the possibility that there's some genetic components. You know, we live in a fallen world that affects a lot of different areas, not just our sexuality. So, yeah. Anybody else? We'll go here and then to you. So the question is, is it hard for my wife to trust God that I'm going to stay on this journey with her, I guess? Um, It's probably a better question for her. I won't put her on the spot. She is here tonight, (laughs) tonight. But, you know, that was, I think, a real area of struggle for her from what we've talked about, especially as we were dating and engaged, because I was not exhibiting all the usual signs that women are used to when they're when they're dating, which is basically, I'm the gatekeeper, I must keep men away from my body, <laughs> because they're always trying to, you know, it seems like they're set up typically as women are saying no, while men are trying to press the issue. And I wasn't. I wasn't there yet. And she had to really wrestle with God about that, not because she wanted to be... Constantly fighting me off, but because she didn't know how to figure this out, she's like, Okay, Lord, he's pressing in in all these other ways, but he's not pawing me all over the place. So, um, and you know, I suspect that, you know, I've, we've only been married a year. That year's been pretty easy and great. Like all other marriages, we're going to have some issues. And if I'm struggling with lust or I'm struggling with, the things that people struggle in marriage—it's probably going to be focused towards men. You know, that's just the reality of it for me. I don't want to say that it's not possible for me to lust after another woman. Who knows? I'm potential. I'm capable of all kinds of sin. So, <laughs> but yeah, it's a definite—it's um, a faith walk for both of us. Yeah. Oh, what? Back over here, and then I'll come to you. So how do I deal with the stereotypes of straight men? And what was that last part again? So do straight guys treat me awkwardly or differently? And Yeah, that just still seems kind of normal to me. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of been my experience my whole life. And, you know, there's a lot of... I have a lot of great men around me that don't seem to look at me and see homosexuality. They can see past that and through that, but this is, again, it's a confusing issue. I think men still feel kind of threatened by this because they don't know what to what to do with a guy who might be attracted to them. Although I will say that the people who tend to bring that up, not, not you bringing up the question, but the straight guys who seem most freaked out about somebody being attracted to them are Usually not very attractive and don't need to worry. <laughs> so there's someone for everybody, but yeah okay. come over here to you in the blue shirt, and I'll come back to you. So the question is, how do you talk to a friend who has a different belief system about this? Maybe they're gay, lesbian, or bi, and how do you talk about your beliefs with them? You know, this is, it's a really tricky conversation to have. I'm sure you probably already know that. It's, you know, that population of people has been very wounded by the truth, of God's word the way it's been used against them and I just don't think that it needs to be said over and over and over again <laughs> and that's what I I find and you know a lot of conversations with with family members for example that's another group of people that we work with we have a family and friends group at our ministry and you know, I'll be talking to a, a dad for example who's like you know, every time I get together with my son, I just make sure he knows that he's in sin and this is not God's way for him. And just like, yeah, that's not going to open a door to further conversation. And, you know, we're going to disagree on some issues with other people, and I think that's okay. And it's, I think it's okay to confront somebody if they're not open to hearing your perspective just in the same way that you're open to trying to hear theirs and understand There's a way to have respectful dialogue about this that doesn't erupt into a shouting match. And, you know, I find that the simplest way to start is just to say, well, why don't you tell me your story? How did you end up where you are today? And listen to that journey because I can almost guarantee you that there's going to be a painful something that happened with, you know, something related to their perception of God or the church and just to hear that to allow space for that is a real gift to someone. Yeah. Does that help? <laughs> I wish there were 3 easy steps, but if you want to talk more about something specific afterwards, I'm happy to to do that. I think there was a question here. Yeah. Well, how did my parents react? <laughs> my heart, my parents are really hard to read. <laughs> I think that's you know, that's part of the problem that I had growing up is I grew up in this family that emotions are buried pretty deep. So they kind of take everything like this, you know, like, hmm, it's interesting, you mm. know. And, and I'm kind of, I think, just wired that way because of them, but I'm I'm not as extreme, I think, as they are in that. But, um, you know, this was something that I really for the most part, kept to myself for a very long time. And I once in high school kind of talked to them about an incident that, one of those that I had referred to in my story. And I didn't talk about, I think I might be gay or whatever, but we just didn't talk about real stuff in my family. And bringing that up was, it was good. We connected, we prayed together. It felt good. We felt closer. And we never talked about it again. And it just kind of got swept under the rug. Same experience with a pastor that I talked to. Um, and to their credit, I they believe in the power of prayer. And they believe that God heals people. So they don't didn't want to keep bringing it up. And they didn't have a lot of vision for God's healing taking place through a process. And I think that's what... You know, my process is probably going to be the rest of my life, and I'm okay with that. So eventually I did talk to them about it. It was much more palatable at that point, I think, because I was saying, I had to talk to them about, hey, Mom and Dad, I'm dropping out of college. I'm moving to Colorado to go to this ministry that (laughs) who knows what went on through their minds with that. But they were supportive. They are supportive today now. There's one here in the back, and then I'll come over to you. I think there was one over here, right? Okay, well, I'll come to you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, so the question is what about a gay person who doesn't experience attraction to the opposite sex? Are they doomed to a life of celibacy and loneliness, basically? Is that a good paraphrase? <laughs> okay. Well, you know, short of heterosexual marriage, I don't see through scripture that there's really any other, um, what's the word I'm looking for, any other way to express our sexuality that God is saying is okay. I will say that, you know, until a couple of years ago, I that's the life that I thought I was going to have, and it was not a lonely life <laughs> at all. and. You know there's nothing like waking up in the morning with my wife and I get I get that but I was not I had a very full life as a single person and I think when I when I hear people talking about celibacy it's you know it's a, it sounds like a curse and in some ways you know there's no seems like there's not a lot of willingness to explore the gift that celibacy might might be it's hard there's a lot of single heterosexual people who will never get married and <laughs> that's a sad reality for them as well, if marriage is their heart's desire. It doesn't have to be sad. And, again, I feel like that's another way that homosexuality gets kind of pulled out as this incredibly different issue when I know a lot of single straight people who probably won't get married. So we've got time for maybe one more question over here. Yeah, so the the question is, is there something that kept me connected to God in my journey? A lot of people seem to, um, in their wrestling with this, turn away from God. Does that summarize well? okay. I can't think of one particular incident for me. Um, A lot of it probably had to do with coming to where grace abounds, to be honest, because I found a place that... I felt like honored both of the things that were going on with me, and my... It just, it put things in perspective for me about how my sexuality, it felt like the biggest, most important thing in my life, and it just... I don't think it should have been, and I had made an idol of sorts out of that, and it makes sense how I got there, I don't think that was deliberate, but... um. You know, I wish there was something I could say that's like, here's the verse you can share with your friend who's turned away from God and it will bring them back into the fold. Um, it's just a hard journey. And I think the best thing that people can do is to just continue to love their your friends, love your family members who are in that situation and show the love of Christ to them. And, you know, I... I, I don't believe that this is you know, this isn't the issue that sends people to hell or to heaven. The separation from Christ is the issue. That's where the conversations we should be having are surrounding. So I hope that's helpful. I know it's not not the easiest of answers, but I think that's all I've got. Is there I'm not sure who's coming up to close this part down. There's Mike. Thank you.